Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, August 11th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace with today's top headlines. A presidential candidate in Ecuador is assassinated. The U.S. is accused of pushing Pakistan to oust former Prime Minister Imran Khan. A Utah man who threatened to kill Biden is killed in an FBI raid. Wildfires kill at least 36 in Hawaii. Iran claims to be testing a supersonic cruise missile. India passes a data protection bill amid surveillance concerns. Russia and Ukraine exchange drone attacks. The FBI is accused of a widespread campaign to label traditionalist Catholics radicals. Twitter is fined for delayed compliance with a Trump election probe. And U.S. scientists say they're close to discovering a fifth force of nature. Our top story, Ecuadorian presidential candidate Via Vicencio is assassinated. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Wall Street Journal, Al Jazeera, BBC News, Reuters, CBS News, and The Telegraph. Ecuadorian presidential hopeful Fernando Villavicencio was assassinated after leaving a campaign event at a school in the capital, Quito, on Wednesday, less than a fortnight before voting is due to take place. Local media reported that Villavicencio was killed hitman-style, with three shots in the head, as assailants fired around 30 shots. In response to this crime, outgoing President Guillermo Lasso declared a nationwide 60-day state of emergency. Los Lobos, the second-largest criminal gang in Ecuador with some 8,000 members, appeared to claim responsibility for the attack. However, men claiming to be gang members posted a video saying it wasn't them. Another gang, Los Chineros, who threatened Via Vicencio last month, have also been suspected. Officials said a suspect later died of wounds sustained in a shooting, with six others so far arrested for the crime that reportedly injured another nine people, including two police officers and a legislative candidate. The 59-year-old anti-corruption crusader and former journalist was recently polling second with 13 percent behind Luisa Gonzalez, who is close to former left-wing president Rafael Correa. The election set for August 20th will go ahead as planned. Once a peaceful country, Ecuador has become a hub of drug trafficking and violence in recent years. It is now ranked 31st out of 193 nations on the Global Organized Crime Index, with a homicide rate higher than Mexico. Those were the facts now for our narrative spin, starting with Narrative A from the Epoch Times. A fierce critic of the convicted and corrupt former socialist president Rafael Correa, Villavicencio has been threatened by drug traffickers as violence and drug cartels have been a hot topic in his campaign. It's not hard to realize that his assassination has exposed some of the covert links that are turning Ecuador into a narco state. Now it's time to connect the dots and take action. And narrative B comes from The Economist. Though undoubtedly a shocking tragedy, this killing shouldn't come as a surprise for those closely observing Latin America, as the region has seen political violence on the rise for a while amid growing populism. The mayor of the Ecuadorian port city of Manta was killed last month, and scores of politicians, including 35 candidates, were killed ahead of Mexico's 2021 midterm elections. Though it's sad, the data show this isn't rare. A report claims the U.S. pushed Pakistan to oust Imran Khan. 
Hear the facts as agreed upon by Voice of America, The Times of India, Dawn.com, Reuters, The Intercept, and The Diplomat. Days after Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan was sentenced to three years in prison on corruption charges, he denies. A classified document obtained by The Intercept and published Wednesday suggests the U.S. State Department pressured the Pakistani government to remove Khan from office. Khan, the former cricketer-turned-politician, was ousted from power in April 2022 when his PTI party lost a vote of no confidence. At the time, he claimed that the U.S. had hatched a plot to topple his government for his refusal to cancel his late February visit to Moscow. The alleged classified Pakistani government document shows that a meeting was held between two U.S. State Department officials and Assad Mahid Khan, Pakistan's then-ambassador to the U.S., on March 7, 2022. In the meeting, the U.S. representatives reportedly voiced their displeasure at Khan's neutrality on Russia's war with Ukraine, adding that if a no-confidence vote against Khan succeeds, all will be forgiven in Washington. If not, it will be tough going ahead. On March 8, Pakistan's opposition party submitted a formal request to the country's parliament requiring that Khan face a no-confidence vote for alleged poor governance in a dwindling economy. Khan lost the vote on April 10th. When asked to comment on The Intercept's report, U.S. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller said, The allegations that the United States has interfered in internal decisions about the leadership of Pakistan are false. They have always been false, and they continue to be. Let's start our narrative spins with the establishment critical narrative from The Intercept. The classified document makes it clear in black and white the carrot-and-stick approach adopted by the U.S., if Imran Khan is removed from power, all would be forgiven in Washington. If not, there would be consequences, economic and otherwise, for the country's bilateral relations. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from GEO. This cable doesn't prove anything other than Khan's incessant effort to promote a conspiracy theory against Washington. The U.S. had publicly and privately expressed its concerns to Pakistan over its stance on the Russia-Ukraine war. However, any allegation that the U.S. interfered in the country's internal political processes is categorically false. FBI agents kill a man accused of threatening President Biden. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, the Associated Press, Fox News, Politico, and BBC News. On Monday, the accused, Craig DeLu Robertson, reportedly 74, posted online that he was cleaning the dust off the M24 sniper rifle in response to news of Biden's visit to Utah on Wednesday. The FBI began investigating Robertson after an online threat he made in March against Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. A law enforcement source said that Robertson was armed when federal agents arrived to execute the warrants as court filings showed that he owned numerous firearms. Provo is south of Salt Lake City, where President Biden arrived on Wednesday in advance of a scheduled visit at a VA hospital and for a campaign fundraiser on Thursday. Online, Robertson referred to himself as a MAGA Trumper and made numerous threats against political opponents of former President Trump and those involved with legal cases against him. The shooting will be investigated by the FBI's inspection division, as is the case for all agent-involved shootings. Robertson was facing three federal charges in connection to the threats, while his neighbors said he wasn't a threat to the public. Those were the facts. Now let's start our spins with this pro-establishment narrative from the Associated Press. Trump and his allies have fomented anger and violence in the country, and it's putting lives at risk. 
As the January 6th riot and a violent attack at an FBI office in Ohio have shown, there are real consequences to this dangerous partisanship. Because of Trump's election conspiracies, an elderly man is now dead, as he stirs anger and resentment in a way that goes beyond politics as usual. And the Deseret News brings us the establishment critical narrative. Regardless of what one thinks of the former president, we need more answers from the FBI in this sad case. From Ruby Ridge to Waco, the federal government has a history of unnecessarily escalating encounters with those opposed to the government. And there must be more solid evidence other than a few Facebook posts for guns to be drawn on a senior citizen with limited mobility. Rescue operations continue at the Hawaii wildfires as at least 96 are dead. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, CNN, USA Today, the Associated Press, and CBS. On Sunday night, Hawaii officials announced that the death toll from the catastrophic Maui wildfires had risen to 96, the deadliest U.S. wildfire in over 100 years. Search and rescue operations continue with teams using cadaver dogs to comb the burned areas for additional victims. While the most devastating fire, the Lahaina Fire, swept through the town of Lahaina on Maui, two other fires, the Pulehu Kie Fire and the Upcountry Fire, ravaged other areas of the island. As of Monday morning, the Lahaina Fire was 85% contained, and the Pulehu Kie and Upcountry Fires were 80% and 50% respectively. According to Hawaii's Governor Josh Green, approximately 30% of the firefighters battling the blazes have lost their homes and contact with family members, but they continue their public safety efforts. While emergency operations continue and the recovery efforts begin, Hawaiian officials are urging vacationers to travel to other Hawaiian locations to preserve hotel availability for residents who have lost their homes and for local, state, and federal emergency response personnel. According to the Hawaii Tourism Authority, since Wednesday, nearly 46,000 residents and vacationers have evacuated Maui. Maui County officials are facing public backlash over the environmental conditions that led to the devastating wildfire and the lack of warning for residents during the fire. Hawaii Attorney General Ann Lopez is launching an investigation into the decision-making made by officials in the years leading up to the fire. While the official cause of the wildfires remains under investigation, a Hawaiian couple has initiated a lawsuit against four of Hawaii's power companies, alleging that their reckless behavior in ignoring the weather conditions was the direct cause of the fires, resulting in the losses of life and property. Narrative A on this story comes from The Guardian. Several factors contributed to the fast-moving wildfires occurring in Hawaii, but make no mistake, they're all linked to climate change. A prolonged period of drought and increased temperature dried out the grass, creating fuel for the wildfires. Increased sea temperatures then drove stronger hurricanes that fanned the fires, extending their deadly reach. Without any action to address climate change, this will just be one of many catastrophic events. And Narrative B comes from Honolulu Civil Beat. Unprepared is a common theme being echoed by Hawaiian officials and residents. Despite knowing the risks of a prolonged period of drought followed by a passing hurricane, the state failed to adequately prepare for the collision of the two forces. This unprecedented, deadly event may have been born from several factors, but they were all known and documented. Now the island's residents must pay the price and lost lives, homes, and businesses. Iran claims its supersonic cruise missile is undergoing tests. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, the Media Line, Tasnim News Agency, The Cradle, and Middle East Eye. 
Iran has achieved the technological capability to build supersonic cruise missiles. Its semi-official Tasnim news agency claimed on Wednesday amid rising tensions with the U.S. over military deployments in the Persian Gulf. The homegrown cruise missiles are reportedly being tested and will mark the beginning of a new chapter in Iran's defense capabilities by significantly reducing the Iranian armed forces' response time in case of an attack. Iran's cruise missiles previously used rocket-launching engines to fire the weapon and domestically developed turbojet engines for the second stage. The Navy's cruise missiles and supersonic cruise missile development now reportedly use ramjets, an air propulsion system. The development comes days after the U.S. reportedly deployed more than 3,000 sailors aboard two warships to the Red Sea to bolster the U.S. military presence in the region. Meanwhile, Iran's Revolutionary Guard recently announced that its Navy fleet had received a range of new homegrown military hardware, including combat and reconnaissance drones, as well as cruise missiles and ballistic missiles with a range of up to 1,000 kilometers, or 600 miles. In June, Iran unveiled Fatah, its first domestically manufactured hypersonic ballistic missile, which it claims can travel five times faster than the speed of sound. We've got four narratives on this story, starting with the pro-establishment narrative from JNS.org. The fact that the Iranian regime is claimed to have developed hypersonic ballistic and supersonic cruise missiles underscores its threat to the entire region. Tehran already has the largest and most diverse missile arsenal in the Middle East, with which it threatens Israel and Arab countries in the Persian Gulf. Tehran's irresponsible actions have triggered a regional arms race with incalculable consequences. Press TV has the establishment critical narrative. The development of this supersonic cruise missile is a significant technological milestone for Tehran and impressively demonstrates Iran's high-tech capabilities. Moreover, the recent U.S. saber-rattling in the Persian Gulf once again underscores the need for Iran to make its armed forces self-sufficient and continuously develop its military defense capabilities. Iran has every right to defend its national security interests and sovereignty in a volatile region. Iran International brings us a cynical narrative. Just as there's no independent confirmation of Iran's hypersonic missile, there's no evidence of its latest claim to have added a supersonic missile to its arsenal. Iran has again made dubious, unverified, and exaggerated claims regarding its military capabilities. And Metaculus brings us a nerd narrative. There's a 49% chance that Iran will possess a nuclear weapon before the year 2030. India passes a landmark data protection bill. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, Al Jazeera, Verdict, and TechCrunch. On Wednesday, Indian lawmakers approved a data protection bill to manage how tech companies utilize users' data despite concerns that the law could give more surveillance power to the government. The new legislation, the Digital Personal Data Protection Bill 2023, gives the government the discretion to excuse state agencies from complying with the law and allows users to alter or delete their data. The law will also allow the government to decide which countries can receive Indian data and will see the formation of a government-appointed board to advise on decisions. This comes after two earlier versions of the legislation were canceled in 2021 and 2019 amid criticisms from tech companies like Facebook and Google. Any company found in violation of the new law could face a penalty of up to $30 million. Independent groups and opposition leaders have criticized the bill's government exemptions, including allowing it to overrule the need for companies to obtain consent before collecting user data. 
The bill will take effect once approved by President Drupandi Murmu. Those were the facts. Here's our narrative spins. Op India brings us narrative A. This is a tremendous win for the Indian people as the government looks to protect their rights in the digital age. With all the information and access available today, many people are vulnerable to their personal data being accessed by corporations or nefarious actors. The government recognized that problem and is cracking down on inappropriate data breaches. And Reuters brings us Narrative B. Civil society groups have rightly raised concerns about the scope of exemptions in India's new data protection law, which doesn't contain sufficient safeguards against overboard surveillance by the government and could adversely affect press freedom and dilute the right to information law. This bill may protect citizens from big tech, but it leaves them vulnerable to the state's prying eyes. Russia and Ukraine exchange drone attacks. Here are the facts. As agreed upon by Ukranska Pravda, the Times of Israel, TASS, and the Associated Press. Russian air defenses reportedly shot down two drones headed to Moscow for the second straight day on Thursday, again causing delays and disruptions to the city's two international airports. One drone was brought down in the Odinstovo district of the capital, while the other was brought down in the Kaluga region on the outskirts of Moscow, the country's defense ministry said. Russian officials also said that 11 drones were brought down en route to the Crimean city of Sevastopol, with two being shot down by air defenses, while the remaining nine were brought down using electronic warfare means. There were no reports of injuries from either attack. Ukraine's Air Force, meanwhile, said that it shot down seven of the 10 drones deployed by Russia over the country overnight. Officials in the Rivni region said that as a result of drones that penetrated there, an oil depot was destroyed. There were no reports of injuries at this stage. Russia also launched overnight missile and rocket attacks on the Zaporizhia region. Local officials said that three civilians were killed, while nine more were injured. Later on Thursday, Ukraine ordered the evacuation of around 12,000 residents in 37 towns in the eastern Kharkiv region amid reports of Russian gains in the area. Those were the facts. Now for our narrative spin, starting with the pro-establishment narrative from PBS NewsHour. This invasion is an egregious violation of international law. Putin's ultimate aim is to restore the Soviet empire, even if it takes massive bloodshed and false pretexts, such as calling the 2014 Ukrainian revolution after an election a coup. This unprovoked attack is the latest chapter in Putin's Orwellian attempt to rewrite history. And National Security Archive brings us the establishment critical narrative. NATO and the U.S. have ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward in return for German reunification. These concerns are legitimate, and taking them seriously would have avoided the Ukraine tragedy. And Metaculus brings us a nerd narrative. There's a 52% chance that Russian territory will be reduced by at least 1% before the year 2040. News from the House Judiciary Committee, FBI offices targeted radical Catholics. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Postmillennial, Fox News, the Catholic News Agency, the New York Post, and the Wall Street Journal. The House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday released a less-redacted internal FBI document suggesting that the agency labeled some Catholics as extremists and targeted them with far greater frequency than Director Christopher Wray admitted to the committee. Multiple FBI field offices contributed to a memo that labeled some traditionalist Catholics as potential terrorists, 
contradicting Ray's July sworn congressional testimony that claimed the FBI's Catholic investigation was a single product by a single field office. A redacted version of a January memo into racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists and radical Catholic ideology drew criticism, as many believed the FBI was targeting the religious group. In March, Ray said the memo came from the Richmond, Virginia office, and the FBI took immediate steps to withdraw it and remove it. However, the House Judiciary Committee's new press release shows that the FBI's Portland and Los Angeles offices also contributed to the memo suggesting that the FBI's alleged targeting of Catholics was more widespread than initially suspected. Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, and Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana, sent a letter to Ray about the new information contradicting his testimony. After the FBI did not respond to an April subpoena, the committee said it could seek contempt proceedings if the agency didn't substantially improve its compliance on July 17th. A week later, the FBI handed over additional files surrounding their Catholic initiative. Jordan and Johnson have now asked for a list of FBI intelligence products cited in the report and the liaison contract from the Portland and L.A. offices. Ray has until August 22nd to comply with the requests. Those were the facts. Now for our narrative spins, Zero Edge brings us the establishment critical spin. It was already confirmed that, as suspected, the FBI has slandered and targeted Catholics as white supremacist extremists. But we now know that this insidious campaign was even more widespread than initially thought. In addition to attacking a religious group for having beliefs that don't align with regime orthodoxy, the FBI director lied about the extent of this effort. It seems that anyone can be labeled a white supremacist terrorist for any unpopular belief. The pro-establishment narrative comes from the New York Times. Violent extremism is on the rise from the right wing, and some far-right factions of Catholics are part of a coalition that seeks to undermine democracy. Religious extremism and terror aren't a novel threat, and rhetoric coming from traditional Catholics sounds quite similar to far-right radicals who have attacked abortion centers and even stormed the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Not all Catholics are extremists, but we shouldn't turn a blind eye to those that are. A special counsel sought Trump's Twitter account and fined the company. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by PBS NewsHour, CNN, Fox News, The Independent, and Al Jazeera. Court documents released Wednesday reveal that special counsel Jack Smith's team in January 2023 presented a search warrant to social media platform X, then known as Twitter, for records related to former U.S. President Donald Trump's account. In addition, a judge fined the platform $350,000 for delaying its compliance with the warrant, which was part of Smith's investigation into Trump's actions following the 2020 presidential election. The documents detail how the platform, which suspended Trump after the January 6, 2021 protests at the U.S. Capitol, did not fully comply with the warrant until three days after the court-ordered deadline. It's unknown what Smith was specifically seeking from Twitter because those portions of the warrant remain redacted but the platform was ordered not to inform Trump about the warrant. Following an appeal from Twitter, Trump was informed about certain details in June. Trump reacted to the news on his social media platform, Truth Social, calling the warrant a significant hit on his civil rights and accusing Biden of attempting to infringe on his campaign for the GOP presidential nomination. Trump has pleaded not guilty to four charges brought by Smith related to alleged attempts to overturn the 2020 election. 
And those were the facts. Let's start our spins with the pro-Trump narrative from PJ Media. The Biden administration will stop at nothing to derail Trump's campaign, including stomping out of private ceremonies, First Amendment rights. Smith, a proven crooked prosecutor, is leading a partisan probe on behalf of the weaponized Justice Department while attempting to stop the man who's going to defeat Biden in 2024. Americans should worry about how far the Biden regime will go to maintain power. The Democratic narrative comes from the Daily Kos. This case is simple. There was probable cause to search Trump's account without informing the former president, and Twitter failed to comply. Allegations that this violated First Amendment rights don't hold water as X has been granting requests for information for some of the worst oppressive regimes around the world. Complying with this warrant in the name of protecting U.S. democracy was the least it could do. And another nerd narrative from Metaculus.com. This one says there's a 35% chance that if the 2024 U.S. presidential election pits Trump versus Biden, Trump will win. And our final story, scientists may have found evidence of a fifth force of nature. The facts on this story are agreed upon by BBC News, Futurism, and Astronomy Magazine. Scientists at the U.S. Particle Accelerator Facility, Fermilab, have found potential evidence that subatomic particles called muons are behaving differently than expected based on the current theory of subatomic physics, suggesting that a fifth force of nature, separate from gravity, electromagnetism, the strong force, or the weak force, could be at play. The researchers sent the muons, which are similar to electrons, but 207 times the size, around a 46-foot magnetized ring at Fermilab. The experiment revealed that the particles wobbled in uncharacteristic ways than what is expected under the so-called standard model of how particles interact. For 50 years, scientists have been able to predict the behavior of subparticles, which make up atoms. Perfectly, with no errors, everything in the world is made of atoms. However, the research published in the journal Physical Review Letters cannot be officially claimed as a new physics discovery as there's still a 1 in 40,000 chance that it's incorrect. Fermilab scientist Chris Polly also said that only 6% of the data collected has been analyzed to date. Scientists believe in a fifth force for several reasons, including how galaxies are continuing to accelerate apart after the Big Bang Theory rather than slowing down, and how they're spinning faster than they should considering how much material is known to be in them. This is believed to be due to invisible particles known as dark matter, which aren't part of the standard model. Narrative A on this fascinating story comes from Astronomy Magazine. While many physicists agree that there are more forces of nature out there, especially regarding dark matter, we shouldn't let news like this get our hopes too high. Groups of researchers have claimed to have discovered the fifth force for decades now, all of which were eventually debunked. Science is, of course, about trial and error, but the evidence has to be unequivocally clear before such claims can be made. Narrative B comes from BBC News. Though researchers are still stuck at the 1 in 40,000 chance of being wrong, they have consistently seen this unpredictable wobbling for over two years now. There is more work to be done, but we should all be excited as the Fermilab grows closer and closer to officially discovering a fifth force of nature. And finally, there is a nerd narrative from Metaculus. There's a 51% chance that we will know what dark matter is before the year 2050. 
Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, August 11th, 2023. Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download our app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm Scott Wallace, inviting you to join me next time on Improve the News. Thank you.